Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Let's be honest. The first place our family turns to when we're looking for a quick getaway is always Airbnb. I know we can find an amazing place to stay at the beach, like St. Simons on the Georgia coast, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's one of our favorite spots. That's what comes to mind, Matt, when I'm thinking about travel. And while you're staying at someone else's home, have you ever thought about what you could be doing with your own home? That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you are away, because that is all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room if you got one. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. I'm Matt. And today, we're answering your listener questions. That is right. It's Monday. We've got listener questions to get to, including uh, there is one listener and she's asking about the 25x rule, the 25 times your annual expenses rule, whether or not it's something we still like, and in particular, the impact of inflation on the, mm. the 25x rule. We'll get to that. Good question. Another listener is wondering whether or not she should refi her car loan with an online company. She's come across a couple of them that were offering really competitive rates. We'll get to that. Plus, another listener is wondering if he should finance an ADU, an accessory dwelling unit. He's looking to, looking to do some house hacking. By the way, have you noticed the uh, right down the street from us, there's like, uh, they're building an ADU. It's like a little carriage house. Oh, yeah. Garage yeah. in the back. That thing is huge. It's a big one. <laughs> like Initially, it looked like it was just going to be a small garage, but I mean, two stories, certainly one garage door opening, and then a house it's like a 2500 square foot house that yeah. they're building uh, that they're building ADUs back there. are usually what like five six hundred square feet maybe 700 like a but tiny this, home. One, this one might be even bigger yeah this, i mean yeah i'm depending like, on how much oh, that thing looks awesome they've dedicated to <laughs> garage space i guess right yeah yeah just i guess that's something Ken and i've been talking about recently too because like we're in a four bedroom house and there's six of us so mm-hmm. uh, like we know like at some point it's not that we need six bedrooms but five would be great you know for the girls uh, a couple of the girls to not have to share a room and we're, we're trying to f- man we're starting to wrestle with that we're trying to figure you're out leaning in that little house on the prairie lifestyle man it's not e- like as the kids get more stuff it's it's a discussion that we're having that's and all as they get I'll older say. more independent want more of their own space they want their own space yeah. they're into different like where are they gonna practice piano like the ability for them to do some of their own things doesn't it doesn't always take place yeah. in like the public spaces and 
I don't know. When I saw that, literally right before we sitting down right here to record, I walked past it and I was like, that thing is nice. <laughs> just envisioning what we could do if we decided to build something like that. But I got to think that that thing's going to cost whoever, I don't know, whoever's building that thing. Like, what do you think? Like 150 at least? Easily, if, yeah, yeah. if not 200K to basically build another house? Anyway, tangent. That's not what we're talking about. We're going to talk about ADUs uh, later in the episode. But uh, real quick, I wanted to share, man, that I just dropped, speaking of uh, the Almix family spending a lot of money, I just dropped 615 bucks in order to repair the van. It made me think a couple of things. First of all, it made me glad, first of all, that I had the cash on hand to, to be able to pay for that. Mm-hmm. The ability to not have to tap into your emergency fund, but to literally draw on the savings bucket where I'm setting, a, like literally we set aside 80 bucks a month to cover this expense because these things come up, right? Not just your oil change or tires whenever that happens, but some of this additional work that's going to be required. I got a, a valve cover gasket. Plus an adjustment. Sounds like a car part. <laughs> <laughs> Evidently, it, it just helps the engine to run smoother. And I will say, it's much, much quieter, as well, okay. which, which is nice. But um, but the second thing I wanted to mention, too, is that there might be some folks who find themselves in a similar position, and they're like, man, that is so much money. Is it even worth it to go ahead and do that? Maybe instead I should just I'm, I'm go buy a new car. Like, what's a, what's, what's a new car payment? Yeah. Well... It's a lot more than, well, I guess it's not a lot more than 650 I looked it up. It's $725 for a new car. That's the average monthly car payment. That's the but average monthly payment. Every single month. And so yeah. that is a ton of money. And so resist the urge. I'm just putting this out there, a little PSA. Resist the urge to buy a new car when you're facing, when you're looking down the barrel of some car maintenance issues. Take care of your car, right? Like, uh, go ahead and go in for that maintenance. Because that is what is going to allow you to continue to drive that old car like literally not even for just years, but even for decades down the road. Yeah. The new to us minivan that we bought this year after we got rear-ended and the, <laughs> the old minivan got totaled. Well, we had two big expenses that happened within the first three, four months of ownership. You had to get that AC topped off. Yeah. yeah. And, well, the AC, I forget. It was like the, basically the compressor needed to be it was the actual right? unit. Yeah. yeah so that right. was like 800 and some dollars. And, then, and the alternator uh, crapped out on the way down to Florida. That was another 800 and something dollar fix or I don't know. It was like seven, whatever. And, and so I'm like, man. A lot of folks were saying, whoa. A lot of money, boys. Yes. You're dropping on your old crappy van. And 100%. (laughs) It it certainly is. It is a lot of money. And and some of those things, man, do I wish the alternator had lasted longer? Sure. Of course I do. But um, these are the kind of things that come with owning an older car. And and maybe the expenses are harder. I remember actually having a conversation with somebody about this on Twitter. Now X, I guess. um, About kind of she was like well once i bought a new car it became easier to budget and i get that it's easier to budget but it doesn't mean that you're going to save money it does not mean it's more affordable because yeah, yeah it's easier because at the beginning uh, you don't have any maintenance sure. for like twenty five thousand. Like, so really right? it's just like it's whatever the car payment is that, that i've taken out it's that's the monthly expense and, and they're like i can then slowly start building yeah. up that doesn't mean and it's more affordable i i like predictability but i would rather save money and have these less predictable expenses come up and just have saved more to be ready for them, to be able to handle them. So, absolutely, yeah, I agree. When you see how much car payments are, how much new cars cost, and how much interest rates are on cars as well, which we're actually going to talk about that in just a second with uh, someone right, wanting yeah. to refinance a car. <laughs> but like when you when you take all those things into consideration, uh, I would say, yeah, keeping that used car alive makes a whole lot of financial sense. Nice. All right, let's go ahead and introduce the beer that you and I are going to enjoy during this episode. This is. I guess it's a, a fest beer, and this is by Bold Monk uh, Brewery. Um, 
I guess what are they? They're like a gastropub or yeah. What do, what do they? What do you call them? Yeah, the, Emily and I'll go there for they, date nights sometimes because not because the beer is awesome. The beer is solid. Times. This is actually one of my favorite. We'll talk about it later. But uh, yeah, we picked this beer up while we were there on a recent date night. Figured we should have it on the show. So we'll get to our thoughts on this one. Yeah. At the end of the episode, it's a good spot. They uh, they had a Flanders Red the last time I went, which is oh, yeah. an un- I think we've said this maybe a few weeks ago. Underrated that style of beer. I wish more breweries were making Flanders Red. Hard to find. I love them. Yeah. All right. Let's get to the first uh, question that we have for this episode. And by the way, if you want to submit a question, we'd love to hear from you. Just go to howtomoney.com/ask. Basically, you're just recording a voice memo emailing it over to us we will hopefully take yours on the next ask htm episode but matt this uh, first question is all about saving for retirement and following the right rule of thumb hi matt and joel this is sarah in new mexico i've been listening to how to money for about two years now and i've learned so much from the two of you thank you my question is about saving for retirement i've heard you guys and others talk about the 25 times rule which states that in order to estimate how much money you need to retire, assuming you retire at the normal age in your early to mid 60s, you multiply the annual amount you'll need to live on by 25. I'm wondering whether or not this formula takes inflation into account. So for example, if I expect to need $75,000 a year in retirement in today's currency, do I simply multiply 75,000 by 25? Or do I need to estimate what $75,000 in today's money will be equivalent to by the time I retire in, say, 2050, or 10 years into retirement in 2060? If the latter, do you have any recommended calculators or tools for estimating inflation? Thanks for any insight you can offer on this, and thank you for a terrific podcast. Man, it almost sounds like we need to get Albert Einstein involved in this. Based on all of the, the things, like the, there's, <laughs> there's, this could be a complex financial mathematical formula. Got to do it like beautiful mind style or write it up on the up on the window. Exactly. Well, first off, let's explain what the 25 times or the 25x rule is. And first of all, it's more like a like a helpful guidepost as opposed to a scientific formula that yeah. Albert Einstein would be able to come up with. And what makes it powerful is, simply put, it's simplicity <laughs> because it can help you to quickly understand just the ballpark nest egg that you're shooting for. Uh, and it specifically relates what you need to save to your expenses instead of your income, which we, we feel is a more accurate gauge. Uh, some folks are like, okay, well, you need to base how much you have in retirement based on how much you're making. And we don't believe that to be true. In, in our case, it, it's, it's not really about what you're making. It's about what it is that it actually costs you to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you're spending. Yeah, what you're spending. Yeah. Exactly. It's so. a much more accurate gauge of what you need to save. The 25X rule is zeroing in specifically on that. And that's why we think it's so powerful. And basically, the, where it comes from, it comes from this something called the Trinity Study, which calculates safe withdrawal rates over the years, it was basically trying to figure out how much you can take out of your portfolio every year when you're no longer working and then uh, you know, so that you don't run out of money right? on a, a 30-year timeline. I think, Matt, this was done in, in the 80s when you and I, we were probably waddling around in diapers. But this still remains something that, that people quote, that people look to. Well, and they updated it a few years ago to take into account just recent changes. Yeah. And it's it still holds. Still holds. Yeah. yeah. And so they found that a, a 4% withdrawal rate was incredibly safe, right? And in order to stick to that 4% withdrawal rate, you'll need to save up 25 extra annual expenses, right? So 
it makes sense. Uh, and some folks, they're more conservative or want to be able to spend more in retirement. And some of those folks aim for something like 33 times their expenses. That's kind of another figure you might see thrown around for people who say, I want to be fat fire or whatever. I want, I want more um, exactly. flexibility, more choice, more options. Well, that is something you might see them, a number you might see them aiming for. It's really just an individual choice though. But uh, the, the 25X rule is a great rule of thumb to help you kind of quickly evaluate your investments, see where you stack up and where you're likely to be once you get closer to that retirement age. That's right. Uh, but given its simplicity, which we think is a good thing for what you would want to use this for, right? Just again, just getting you in the ballpark. Uh, that being said, because of its simplicity, it also kind of comes up short when we're talking about specific retirement planning, which obviously comes with so many other factors. For instance, the, the 25X rule does not take Social Security into account, or if you are planning to retire earlier beyond that, where you're mapping out the 65 to 95 time frame, uh, it's not taking into account other income that you might have in retirement, like uh, rental properties. Uh, maybe you are one of the rare breed left <laughs> that where you're actually guaranteed a pension when you retire. And actually, uh, one of the professors, one of the, the folks who are part of that study, who came up with uh, the 4% withdrawal rate, says that it's actually too conservative. He was saying that most folks could actually take out something more like a 4.8%, and this is in a, like a worst case scenario, and still be okay. But then more recently, like Morningstar, which is a great resource that we like to often refer to, they say that actually, 3.8%. <laughs> That's actually the real safe withdrawal rate. So just rate. under 4%. Some people say, ah, no, you some, can- Some folks say more, some folks more, say yeah. less, but yeah, who should we actually trust? These are like those nerdy discussions, right, that would happen on I don't know, a college campus when you're debating these- that, 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 These these discussions are really, uh, they happen in the nerdier realms of personal finance yeah. on sites like Morningstar with these pointy headed professors who are talking about safe withdrawal rates. And it's like, okay, so it's somewhere in between this 3.8 and 4% range that you can safely withdraw. Well, how much exactly? Well, I mean, that depends on a variety of, like on the ways that these things get run. And yeah. it's tough to really zero in on perfection, right? Mm -hmm. um, but and, and honestly, like you're not going to be able to achieve perfection yeah. either, because who knows what the future holds? Who yeah. knows what expenses you're going to be in incurring? Who knows how it is you might even want to change your lifestyle? Who knows how the U.S. economy does over the next 20 or 30 years? Like, That's true. Does it? Does it reflect the last twenty or thirty years? If so, then you know, like you could probably we probably are sitting closer to that four point eight percent withdrawal rate. But if it's yeah, like the maybe the the previous thirty, yeah, uh, maybe yeah, yeah, maybe three point eight is uh, a little bit better of a place to be in. Right. Yeah. So these are all kind of questions that get tossed in there that don't have easy answers. And so um, let's say maybe you'd be paying off your mortgage right before you retire. Well, your expenses are going to go down, which means your 25X number is is lower than it was while you were saving up for retirement and still have that mortgage in your life. And and then let's say you actually get a pretty solid social security check, right? And maybe you have a rental property too. Well, you don't necessarily need to accrue 25 extra expenses. Those people being conservative, saving up 33X, well, you could be the opposite, right? Because you have other sources of income that'll provide a lot of your financial support for a lot of years to come, um, and and plus, like Matt just said, the the four percent rule, according to you know one of the guys who helped establish it, is conservative, right? And so um, you don't want to count your chickens before they hatch. But I would say checking out SSA.gov, the Social Security Administration's website, that has a really good retirement benefit estimator. Matt, I logged into mine today just to kind of see well, how much am I likely to get in retirement, and it tells you when you start taking your Social Security check, what you're likely Ooh. to get. You're going to share? 
uh, I think it was like four grand a month. If, nice. If I retire at the age of sixty-seven and start. Oh, taking I my, you mean like right now? If you were to it st- might have, start, can you start withdrawing on it at the <laughs> ripe old age of thirty-eight? No, 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 no. I can't take it now. It's going to be a okay. while. It's going to be a, a few decades before I can tap into that. But then the longer you wait to take Social Security, the more it'll be. So it, it yeah. shows you that too. Well, if you wait till seventy, you'll actually get this big of a check. But um, the, yeah, the, the well, lo- I'll, I'll say two real quick. What's so great about that is you're actually so you literally log into your account and it's yeah. looking at how much you've actually paid in. This isn't exactly. just a simple calculator it's actually taking into your work your, history. your earnings yes. and your work history as to how much and it you says hey here's how much you made last year here's how much you you paid into the system and so yeah. here's how much yep. you're, you're going to get based on your working lifetime and so the, the longer you've been working and the closer you are to retirement uh, the, the more you can take those numbers as gospel truth the more accurate they're going to be right so if you've been working for two years you're 24 well th- there's not enough information right to really tell you how much you're gonna have in retirement mine is somewhat accurate um, a lot more accurate than a 22 24 year old but someone who's in their late 50s or 60s, it's going to be pretty It'll accurate. Be really dialed in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's what's great about that resource. We'll link to that in the show notes. But if you're looking for more general calculators, Vanguard, they've got a, a solid retirement nest egg calculator uh, that, that we will link to as well. Actually, NerdWallet, they've got one that includes a monthly distribution amount. And so what you could do then is to subtract the amount that you're likely to receive within social, uh, once you start drawing on social security mm-hmm. or other income like, that. like uh, Exa- yeah. rental home income, stuff like that. Exactly. But then, uh, Sarah, you also asked about estimating inflation. And so that's kind of one of the, I guess, the wild card here. And even the super nerds over at the Fed, they've been pretty off on that front, right? Like they were pretty late in seeing that inflation wasn't just transitory and that they did, in fact, need to take action. That, Although, was, like, that was like the word of the year. It seemed like transitory. And it was the word of the year that didn't come to pass. But the, yeah, I, I I like to play devil's advocate. Depends uh, on what you mean by transitory. I exactly. Guess. What's it's the just, meaning? It's of, just a yeah. slight disagreement over the definition of that word, because in the moment, oh, my gosh, it felt like inflation wasn't going away and we were seeing uh, rates tick up closer to 10 percent. But you zoom out a little bit. It's been, you know, a couple of years and uh, we're a far cry from 10 percent. We're yeah. is it like something like 3 percent right yeah, now. We're back in the normal range. And, pretty close I mean, to well, it. We're, yeah. And we're definitely getting, getting closer. But I would say so. First of all, the Trinity study, it does take into account inflation. It takes into account increasing withdrawals on that amount. But also, I wouldn't worry too much about actually trying to forecast inflation because even though the Fed got it wrong <laughs> when it came to determining, well, how long is this inflation actually actually going to stick around? They're pretty clear and they've been pretty firm with the target rate of inflation at 2%. And so basically, they're taking steps to get us there. And how long that takes, I'm not totally sure. But I mean, there are still a couple of rate hikes planned for later this year. And so from that standpoint, I personally... I'm not worried about inflation, runaway inflation, and sure. just all the the negative that's going to come with that. It's just the, that accurately predicting it is a difficult thing to do. You yeah. just have to know that you're taken care of in the scenario where you save up 25x. That does account for inflation, and so you don't have to worry about like you know, doing some extra mathematical calculations. To figure, well, what if inflation sticks in the five six percent range? Do I need to save up even more? No, not necessarily. Like that 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 you don't need to be thinking that way. I yeah, I personally am not worried about runaway inflation. Yeah. Honestly, like I would be shocked if I mean basically if inflation doesn't come down to closer to 2% by the I mean we're going to continue to see these 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 rate hikes and they may not nail it exactly. I think it'll continue to oscillate because anytime you have a massive shift to the economy like we saw 3 years ago where it's like okay, let's 
completely turn off the economy. This yeah. is literally something that has never been done before. That all has an impact. Yeah. Uh, as and to finding equilibrium. The rate, <laughs> the rate of inflation. Finding equilibrium after kind of all the all the mess and all the like attempts. It's going to take a second. The, yeah, of, of <laughs> getting us back on track. It, it's Yeah, it takes time. I think one last piece of advice for Sarah would just be to say, you can always pad a little bit extra, right? If that is a concern. But you also might not need to. And I think there's the, the, the one year syndrome, one more year syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I don't want Sarah to fall prey to that being like, well, I need I need 33x in addition to Social Security, in addition to this other income I have, and I got to wait till I pay down the mortgage. Then you, you might find that you've exhausted some of those years, those younger retirement years where you could have really enjoyed yourself and you kept working because you felt like you needed to hit a number you didn't need to hit. So exactly, striking that balance is always hard to find, and it's tough to start drawing down on your portfolio, and it's tough to kind of um, you know at the same time you're drawing down that your portfolio, stop making income. But at some point you got to be you, you got to be confident in knowing what the numbers have proved over the decades that the reality still holds, mm-hmm. and I think you can feel comfortable uh, knowing that that's the case. Having 25x is still a really good rule of thumb that's going to make sense for most people. Totally. Yeah, and you, plus you can't count on your health uh, yeah. lasting forever, right? Like you said, like being able to take advantage of some of those earlier years of retirement, I think are it's incredibly underrated in my yeah. in my opinion. But uh, definitely something we want you to consider, Sarah. We hope that gets you pointed in the right direction. And Joel, one of the ways that you can invest more for the future is by doing a little thing called house hacking. We'll get to that question about the ADU, the accessory dwelling unit, right after this. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000 plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money joel so we were just recounting our trip to scotland this is the trip that we took this time last year actually with some of our friends over the weekend and one of the highlights from edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm -hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? 
That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Ah, oh, Matt, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making, my, <laughs> you're making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, Matt, we got more money questions to get to on this episode. We're going to talk about building an ADU to bring in some extra income. And uh, it sounds like this listener is going to be able to do it on the cheap. I think he's going to be able to do this one really well. But we'll, we'll get to that. But first, Matt, let's get to a question about how to make a, a car loan less egregious. Hi, this is Deanna from Youngstown, Ohio. I'm wondering if you've had any experience or knowledge of refinancing an auto loan with Rate Genius or Auto Pay, both recommended on Credit Karma. I have a 6.01% rate of interest at this point on my car, and I have an 800 plus credit score. It says that I can be approved for 3.5%. I'd like to know what you think in your experiences with this company. Thanks. Well, all right, Deanna, thank you for that question, and let's go ahead and get to it. You are asking, well, specifically, if, if either of us have experience when it comes to refinancing an auto loan, uh, in, specifically with those two companies that you mentioned, and I'm proud to say that neither of us have. Not trying to brag here or anything, <laughs> but we really don't like car loans, and the more often that you can save up and pay cash for your ride as opposed to financing it, the wealthier you're going to be in the long run. Uh, and that's not just because of the fact that you're not paying any interest to the banks, right? Because you paid cash for the car. But it's also due to the fact that there is a, a behavioral shift that takes place when you pay with cash, right? When you're financing, it's, it's, I think it can be easy to think, well, how much can I afford to pay a month. <laughs> uh, but when you're cutting a massive check or, you know, or you're transferring thousands of dollars over, it's a little more painful. And this is, this is a good pain, Joel. This is like the, the feeling the burn after the workout. This is not yeah. the, uh, oh, I tweaked my back kind of pain, but like the good soreness. Like you're feeling today. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. I, I, mean, think, I think I did something this morning. That yeah. good pain is what we want people to feel. There should be some friction which causes you to change course or to think twice to at ask least. A, ask yourself a question. Exactly. Yeah. It should push you to, to ask yourself, like, how much do I need to pay for a car? Like, how little could I get, get away with paying uh, where the, this car, this automobile, whatever, will get the job done? So, Deanna, just some, some thoughts on our approach to car buying before we talk to your question, if it wasn't made clear enough. <laughs> we're talking about car repairs at the uh, top of the episode. But I will say, great job getting out there, seeing what better rates are being offered. Just the ability to take a few steps, yeah. uh, fill out some paperwork, and to drastically lower what you're paying every single month on that car loan that you already have. That is, that's awesome. That's, yeah. that's fantastic. I mean, I think seeking better terms on debt you've already taken on is smart, right? And this is whether you're you know, refinancing a mortgage, which no one's doing now because rates are ridiculous, they're so high, um, or whether it was refinancing student loans, which no one's doing, of course, because rates are so much higher. But if you got, a, maybe let's say your credit score was in the dumps when you took out the car loan, it was in the 600s, and so you ended up paying a higher rate, and now you've improved the score, well, now you can shop the, the market and find a better term, a better rate 
on that auto loan. Uh, or th- same thing, Matt, with a, a balance transfer on a credit card. That can make sense for a whole lot of people who have the discipline at the same time to say, you know what, I'm going to take this 18-month window in order to pay off this credit card debt, and the 0% uh, APR is going to help me pay down the principal really quickly so that I don't have credit card debt anymore. That is a smart way to use better terms on debt. Totally. And a, a part of the reason that you're able to score such an awesome quote is that you've done a killer job with your finances, Deanna. Like an 800 plus credit score, that's a great place to be. So good work there. Sounds like you've really tended to that. And if you're logging into Credit Karma, clearly, like you're, you're, you you're want to know the details, the finer points of your credit score. That's a great site to kind of check up and see what's going on mm-hmm. behind just the score so you can figure out how to improve it. Uh, but you're asking about a couple of specific companies, Rate Genius and AutoPay. And as far as we can tell, they both seem solid. Like both have been in business for a number of years so yeah neither of them are some fly-by-night startup right uh where they're likely going to be gone tomorrow they've got solid to great reviews uh, on the internet right the uh, in particular rate genius is accredited on the better business bureau website but something to keep in mind just because they dangle a sweet rate out in front of you when you initially click over well that doesn't necessarily mean it's a rate that's going to end up being officially offered to you once you fill out the application, mm-hmm. right? And especially given the rising interest rate environment we're in, you might see a headline number on an advertisement or on Credit Karma site, and then you get over there and they're like, yeah, I mean, that's for this kind of borrower with this, with, yeah. <laughs> who fits this particular mold. You, you meet a couple of the requirements, but actually, you know, your rate's going to look like more more like 7% because you don't meet these other ones. Yeah. And so just, just be aware you might get frustrated because that might be the case. Yeah, well, and just given the environment, too, that we have seen when it comes to uh, rising interest rates, in particular with car loans, like it may not even necessarily be like a bait and a switch <laughs> because there's a decent chance that rates have just simply increased since you saw that whatever thing popped up that you saw. But mm-hmm. And then, again, like like Joel said, not to mention, like they're always going to advertise the absolutely lowest rate that someone might qualify for. <laughs> and your credit score is great, but... Yeah, maybe they don't like your debt to income ratio. They don't like how much you're making or maybe they don't like how much other credit card debt you might have. So with that in mind, shopping around is definitely the path that we would recommend. And and not just with some of these online companies that make it easy, but doing it in person as well. Hopefully you're already a member at your local credit union. But if not, now is a great time to join. And they typically are going to offer lower interest rates than banks because they're nonprofits. And that means that they're literally owned and controlled by their members. They're not seeking to maximize every single dollar. It also means they're not going to pay out the highest rates when it comes to uh, what they're savings, yeah. rewarding on their high-yield savings accounts. Uh, but they're a fantastic place to go when it comes to some of the different financing products that you might find yourself in need of. Yeah, I think HELOCs and refinancing a car loan, credit unions are great places for both of those things. So yeah, I definitely check that. Check a couple of credit unions. And you can, lots of times they post their rates on their website. So you can find the, the closest three, even if you're not a member yet, you can join by putting 20 bucks in an account usually. And then guess what? You have access to even five even five bucks sometimes yeah (laughs) and and then then you have access to to all of the products that they offer and so yeah credit union is a great place to go for that kind of borrowing and so yeah while we don't have personal experience with the specific companies you mentioned they seem solid and we we love that you're looking to snag yourself a better rate where you're going to be able to reduce the amount you'll end up paying over the total life of that car loan i guess one other thing to caution against matt would would be 
to uh, dramatically lengthen the uh, the length of that car loan, right? So, uh, you, oh, that would caution against. Yeah, yeah. yeah We'd yeah. say get a better rate. But man, if you can actually um, get a better rate and shorten the length of that loan too, maybe you got four years left on it, and you can pay it, you get, you get it paid off in two and a half. That would be ideal because yeah, the the less amount of time overall you have a car payment in your life the better. That's for sure. But good luck, Deanna. Happy refinancing. And Matt, let's get to our next question. This one is about whether or not to pay cash or to take out a loan to build an accessory dwelling unit. Hey guys, Israel here from Arizona. I have a question regarding construction loans. I have a property that I would like to build a guest house on. And I'm wondering if maybe taking on a construction loan would be beneficial in, in any way. I have um, the funds to build the guest house without the construction loan and at this point I'm thinking I'm budgeting at about a hundred thousand dollars to build the guest house right now that money is sitting in a high yield savings account that is earning me 4.25 percent interest rate and uh, yeah I'm just wondering if maybe holding on to the money would be any better in any way or if taking out the construction loan would be of any benefit. Anywho, um, love the show, and thanks for your thoughts on this. Yeah, Israel, happy to provide our thoughts, and of course, love the idea of building what you're calling a guest house, what we're going to call uh, an ADU, because hopefully you are looking to maximize the ROI of that actual structure. And we've seen a lot of like law changes in in a bunch of places around the country to make ADUs easier to build and to dramatically reduce kind of the red tape around like how and where you can build them. So they're becoming more and more popular too. That's right. Yeah. And plus, so building costs, they've certainly gone gone up in recent years, but they haven't risen quite as much as the cost of financing and purchasing a home, the limited supply of housing that's out there. So what that means is folks who might want to get into the to the real estate game might find that their best bet is to build an ADU, an accessory dwelling unit, instead of buying an existing single family or buying an existing duplex that might be mm-hmm. out there on the market. Granted, this is general advice, and every market, every individual circumstance is different, but literally... Nice a fr- disclaimer there. Yeah, but th- it's it's this is a strategy that folks are doing. Like We've got a, a friendial, like he's a real estate investor, he's also a realtor, but over the past two or three years, this has been his approach. He's specifically looking for properties that are on corners that allow for him to build another an ADU on the mm-hmm. back part of that property and guess what the AD, it's still accessible via the road which means that people who are renting there are aren't disturbing the folks who are in the the primary yeah. structure and i was uh, like e- either the corner or uh, he's looking at like properties that have alley access uh, so like a lot of the older in town neighborhoods like you've got blocks, city blocks, and you've got these old alleys that are kind of grandfathered in to where people could claim. Uh, here in Atlanta, they're like 10, 12 feet mm-hmm. wide, that, that kind of thing. And so each property owner is entitled to half of that. But a lot of the the blocks, they've just maintained those alleys and they're there. And so you can use them, <laughs> if you, especially if, again, if you are closer to the end of a block where you run less of a risk of that thing getting uh, absorbed maybe by the neighbors to where your, uh, your property would 
would be choked off. Yeah. Eventually. Well, but. yeah, and I was I was this close, Matt, to, to doing to doing one of these at our corner lot back in town too. Mm-hmm. And this was when the price to build these things was a whole lot lower as well. They've gone up a- quite a bit. ATL ADU. That's or right. Yeah. So it's, it was like, like literally this company who has like three or four designs, and you pick one. It's almost like buying a house out of a Sears Robux catalog <laughs> they used to have back in the day. And I love kind of their business model where you're not necessarily hiring an architect to make some one of a kind. It's like, do you like one of the three models we have? If not, put it here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just build <laughs> yes, that one. Yes, please. And stick it right here. Yeah. So I, I mean, I love that model. There's more and more simpler times. Yes. Uh, yes. Is what it makes me think of where you get to, yeah, pick a house out of the catalog. But they were adorable. <laughs> they were beautiful. They would appeal to a whole lot of people and they made sense kind of in the neighborhood where, where we lived. But uh, totally. y- yeah, you're right. I think there's a whole lot of people who would say, oh, I, I feel like it's, you're almost doing God's work if you build an ADU right now too. But you're increasing the supply. Exactly. Which I is, mean, which is going to. There's a, there's literally a housing shortage right now and yeah. builders and developers, they're for one reason or the other, they just haven't been willing to take on that risk over the well, past builders, few years. Builders have been building more, but we're still we still don't have enough. And by the way, Israel said he's got the cash on hand to do this, which is amazing. Like to say, yeah. well, that kind of a, that kind of cash is really inqu- incredible. It's quite a feat, and, and what a killer way to use it, right? To to put it into something that is going to increase the value of your property, but it's also going to hopefully allow you to make more and more money over time. And Matt, actually, one thing he didn't really mention was how he was going to use it. He didn't mention, he, he said guest house. Yeah, that's, so I, yeah. I was like, is he going to use exactly. it for friends and family? Or is he actually going to use this as an investment? And so I think if he wasn't planning on renting it out like full time to tenants, he might want to consider the both and approach. If he's like, ah, oh, it's kind of for friends and family when they're in town, but I don't know. Maybe it could also be a, a short-term rental that allows him to make make money when you know p- people he doesn't have friends or family visiting, and so it, that that could help him make his savings back quickly. And just cross it off the calendar. Don't allow bookings when you know that some of your people are going to be in town using it. And this, of course, does have like part-time job characteristics, right? It makes it it, it makes it something something you have to manage. But and you'd be you'd kind of be dipping your toes into the hospitality industry, Israel. But <laughs> depending on your specific location and what that ADU can command per night, it might be worth it uh, to you to kind of jump through those hoops because it could mean uh, dialing up the the income dial significantly. Yeah, takes some of the pressure off of whether or not you should plunk down this much change in order in order to build this thing if you know that you've got a yeah a time frame that you know in which you'll earn back that money uh but while israel said that he's got the cash on hand he also mentioned that he's considering taking out a loan instead and so should he keep his cash intact and instead borrow to get that thing built we'd say probably not (laughs) uh and here here's why we don't want you to exhaust all of your cash reserves but taking out a loan is going to come with some other fees and hassles in addition to the higher interest rates that you're going to be forced to deal with. And let's say if, you know, maybe you'd already taken out a loan that was in the 8% range, let's say, well, we tell you to use your savings to pay that thing off because mm-hmm. that's pretty dang high. And even though you're, say, getting a, you know, four, he said a four and a quarter, I think, return in, in his high yield savings account. Well, a guaranteed 8% return is going to be even better, <laughs> right? So avoiding that loan in the first place, we think, uh, we think makes the most financial sense to us. And obviously, it depends on your specifics, right? Like, it yeah. depends on the rate that you're able to secure. If yeah. you've got a, like, say you've got a good friend who's a lender and he's able to say, hey, I got this construction loan. Once you complete the construction, we, we roll that into the third, a 30 year mortgage and it locks in at 4%. Oh. Oh, that would change. If, if that was me, I would do that. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it depends on the specifics. Because then you remain liquid, but you're taking out exactly. uh, a loan at a really reasonable rate, right? And so there's, and there's even a spread, a positive spread for you to, and an incentive to keep your cash 
in a high yield savings account, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of putting it towards paying down the debt. But you're right. I guess we're assuming that this is given a typical construction loan in the current environment, which is probably somewhere close to the eight percent range. With mortgage rates also being yeah. in yeah higher in that range as well. Yeah. So, so if we're talking about not that, rates that we like to see. If we're talking about that, then no bueno. If we're talking about uh, a lower rate somewhere in that four to five percent range. The liquidity matters, right? And having access to that cash, keeping it on hand so you can do other things, I would take out, I would probably take on the debt and be totally fine with it. And I think one way to split the baby, though, if you're, you know, if you want to go Old Testament Solomon style, if you're worried you're going to have to empty your savings to nothing at all uh, because of this, well, take out a HELOC on your primary residence, right? You could borrow something like 20 or 30K uh, instead of borrowing a much bigger amount. And those HELOCs, they always come with no closing costs, or, or a lot of them come with no closing costs. And so we just suggest that you have a goal to pay it off quickly, like in 12 to 18 months with income you know, that you're getting from potentially uh, using that ADU as a short-term rental or, or just from income from your job. But uh, that is maybe a better way to do it instead of taking on this construction loan that comes with bigger bigger closing costs and more more annoyance, more hassle. And you're locked into for yeah. a longer period of time. The HELOC yeah. could be this like perfect little, hey, I just need a little bit <laughs> to make sure that I'm not literally taking my savings down to zero mm-hmm. and then I've got a little breathing room. And, and so that might be kind of the the best way forward. Yeah, because I, I, I do think a lot of folks are, they might hear you say that and they're thinking, oh, HELOC, man, rates on HELOCs are crazy high too. Yes. But what's key is what you said, which is like a plan to really get after it. And when you know that the rates are higher and this is something that you can eliminate in a year, year and a half, I like the fire that the lights under you as opposed to saying, all right, let's roll this into a 30 year and this is something that you're now paying on for for. 30, yeah, yeah, long time, <laughs> 30 years. And so how it is that you mentally approach this uh, really matters in this case, Israel. But Joel, we've got uh, another question plus a listener win that we're going to get to. We'll get to both of those right after this. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000 plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money 
Joel. So we were just recounting our trip to Scotland. This is the trip that we took this time last year, actually, with some of our friends over the weekend. And one of the highlights from Edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm -hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Ah, Matt, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making (laughs) making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, man. We've got we got more money content. We got more stuff we got to cover on this episode yes, before we call we it do. quits. And uh, and we're kind of starting something where we, we pull a question from Facebook occasionally because man, there's just interesting stuff in the How to Money Facebook group. If you're not a member of the How to Money Facebook group, there's this there's this website called Facebook.com that you can log on to. Have you heard of it? <laughs> it's been around for a minute. <laughs> and you can type How to Money in the search bar. You'll find you'll find the group there. It's just people helping each other out, and it's just a great place to be if you're looking for helpful money advice. And listener Leslie, she posted this week, she said, which would you do? She posted this question to the Facebook community. She said, $6,500 into a Roth, an HSA, or a traditional 457B. She's basically saying, listen, if I've got a limited sum of money, which one of these three retirement accounts should I prioritize? And Matt, I just thought this was interesting that I was like, well, we should bat this one around because we're kind of pitting three retirement accounts against each other in this scenario. Three great options. Right. Yeah, what, three good things. Which one's going to come come out on top in this price fight, right? Like, so It's not like one of them is, I'm also thinking about dropping 6500 on... I don't know what's something dumb you could spend money on. Yeah, like uh, I, I rarely even like to say th- dumb things that people can spend money on because that might be their craft beer equivalent. Or and you don't. I, I don't. I don't want to be a hater. And you also don't want to plant an idea in their head that <laughs> wasn't already there inception wise. And they're like, hey, Matt. Matt don't you want to should... open a hot dog food truck? No, I was thinking corn dog. Oh no, yeah. I want a hot tub. Is what I want. Maybe I'll, I'll eat a hot dog in my hot tub. Other things that start with hot. <laughs> uh, hot yoga studio. That's true too. Is that something? That's always I've been heard, a business you want to get into. I've heard goat yoga. That just doesn't sound sanitary. Might be. Might be good for my back. But it sounds adorable, right? <laughs> uh, but this one certainly is not a no-brainer. That's for sure. But I think there's one mat that we can eliminate first and foremost that stands out as not quite as good as the others, and that's the traditional 457B that Leslie mentioned. So those rarely come with a match. Plus, we're talking about a small tax benefit now while accruing a bigger tax bill down the road. So I think, and I don't know if you agree with me, that the 457 would probably be the least yeah. favorite of the three options that she presented. So now there's just two left standing. It's almost like you know, Conor <laughs> McGregor versus Khabib or something like that. I don't know. I'm not, not a big MMA guy. But which of these beautiful tax advantage offerings will win the day, Matt, in your opinion? Uh, do, do you have a preference? Well, so from uh, purely tax and numbers and loopholes that are available to folks, the HSA is certainly superior when you use it properly, right? And that's, of course, because of the triple tax advantage status. If this is this is something that your employer is offering, there's technically a quadruple tax advantage because you're not paying payroll tax on that. Uh, but what that means, though, is that there are also more hoops that you've got to jump through. And then sometimes, too, the fees that are associated with HSAs that can be higher than what you'd pay opening up a, a Roth with Fidelity. Uh, but so much of this comes down to whether you're looking to completely optimize and maximize your tax shield. Uh, and if you're happy to, to take some of those additional steps that an HSA requires, so that's on 
one hand. If so, then all right, HSA could be a good way to go. But if instead you are preferring simplicity, well, it's hard to beat a Roth IRA, right? Just taking that 6500 bucks, and I'm assuming that was her default because that's why I'm guessing she started with 6500 <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but shoving that into a Roth, investing within a total stock market uh, or an S&P 500 fund, and then just calling it a day, right? Like that is hitting the easy button. Plus, you get the advantage of, with a Roth, the ability to potentially tap that. It, it's like a backup to your backup mm-hmm. emergency fund, right? Yeah. Like those contributions can be withdrawn for any reason, tax and penalty free. It's not something we like to talk about often because we don't want you to necessarily have to draw on that. But hey, if you ever find yourself in a tight spot, that money is there. There's, forget the hot dog, corn dog stand. There's, <laughs> there's money in the banana stand. There's, there's money yeah. in that Roth IRA. But of course, with the HSA, you're going to have to pay more attention to fees. You might even need to move the money to another provider to cut down on those fees. And then also, like on top of that, you're going to need to document all those medical expenses as well. And yeah. I'm, I'm a pretty organized person, but I don't know. I feel like I just talked myself into choosing the Roth IRA. <laughs> <laughs> Roth IRA. And because personally, I've never actually been able to take advantage of an HSA. So in my mind, it's almost like this unicorn. It's this far off, fantastical thing that... I mean, I know it exists. <laughs> Unicorns don't actually exist, though, man. I know. I know. <laughs> well, and I think it's probably a good point is that because you've never had access to one, I never have either. Like, we I think know, I feel slightly biased. We I know guess, they're great, but it feels, addressing. it feels like a fiction book that we read about, uh, <laughs> right? It's not. It's not actually reality. But for a lot of people, it is. And actually, my my brother in law called me just yesterday to ask about his HSA, and he was telling me actually there's a there's a twenty five dollar a month fee, but. My employer, if I open an HSA, they put 500 bucks in there, so it's definitely worth it despite the fee. But um, at the same time, it's annoying, right? And it's annoying. Some people don't get the employer match into an HSA uh, or any sort of employer contribution to an HSA, and so that fee is something you have to consider because for some um, for some HSA plans, it could be 50 bucks a month, and that's like hard to overcome, right? When uh, that that's a that's a Pretty big bite. That's a big fee. Big um, chunk. So, yeah. and I guess another option too is to split the money equally between the top two, right? Which would be a reasonable approach. So, Joel splitting the baby again. Again, yeah. I'm just like trying to be Solomon over here um, <laughs> with with every piece of financial advice we dish out. Like you can you can always give yourself a goal of maxing out both accounts at some point in the future. But for now, maybe funnel thirty two fifty into your Roth IRA and another thirty two fifty into your HSA, and then you know still be conscious of the fees if they're egregious. Know that you can transfer funds from that HSA, by the way, to another provider once every twelve months. So uh, that's yeah. one of the things I recommend to my to my brother in law. Like stick the money in there once a year you can you know move that money over to lively or fidelity who are the the two best low-cost hsa providers out there and that way you're getting money into the hsa it's the best tax tax structure right uh, the best way to shield yourself from tax but at the same time you you're avoiding some of the fees um, or at least you're not getting pummeled and punished by the fees for too long exactly and i, I like too the benefit that comes with trying both of these out is that you get to do just that. You get to try it out. You don't have to necessarily commit to one. Or It's not like you, like once you get the ball rolling within one of those camps, you have to continue doing that forever. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, the ability to try them both out and be like, oh, wow, I really like the ease of use that comes with a Roth IRA. Or, oh, I'm pretty organized. I, I like to keep uh, lists of expenses anyway. The HSA... Plus, I get hurt a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally, that that's another check within on the side of going with the HSA. So, I like the ability for you to try both of these Is out. If you're like Samuel L. Jackson, Mr. Glass from... What was it? What was the M. Night Shyamalan movie? Oh, with Bruce Willis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's if you're like, that guy... 
the HSA broken, unbroken, was one it, of the yeah, or shattered, so, unshattered, something like one that. Of, yeah. But <laughs> one of those four names. <laughs> Such a good movie. But yeah, if you're like that guy and you get hurt all the time, the HSA comes in even more handy. Yeah, I liked it. All right, um, I like oh, it. It was good. It was like a noir superhero. Yeah, style movie. yeah. It's, it's getting, it's, getting hurt all the it's time. Better than the modern Marvel ones. That's but. true. They they went downhill pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 they need to find new content. That's yes. the problem today, right? I mean, you got the writer strike. There's there's no new content, which means. Honestly, oh snap, what if that means there's going to be a content revival, right? Because normally when you are on a tight, truncated timeline and you're just forced to crank out uh, scripts and episodes yeah. and whatever else, it means maybe the quality isn't so good. Sure. But by kind of close pinching that off and you've got all these writers who are no longer able to write, maybe that means next year, dude. Oh, we're going to be spending so much money on streaming services because it's going to be so good. <laughs> I guess that's the downside to the writer's strike. But uh, all right, we've got one more voice memo to get to, and this isn't a question. Let's hear a listener money win. Hey, Matt and Joe. It's AB in San Antonio. So recently I went to a movie theater with the family, and you know how the movie theaters have this little arcade, you know, connected to them? So, of course, the kids, they want to go and play some games before the movie. Okay, great. Let's let's do it. We go into the arcade, and some of the games were messed up. They weren't working. You know, I'd scan the card. It wouldn't go through. And then I noticed that it is still taking money out of my card. So I brought it to the attention of one of the attendants, and he said, Oh, well, the best thing you could do is call the number on the side of the machine and talk to a representative. I feel like a lot of people, you know, just kind of blow this off and say, yeah, it's fine. I'm not going to do all that. So I didn't. I went ahead and uh, called the number and, uh, you know, talked to a representative, told him about the, uh, which machines I was having a problem with and it wasn't giving my money back. And uh, they went ahead and said, OK, they're going to send the technician, check out the machines. And if they find that the machines were faulty, they would reimburse me. So they have my address, uh, got, got all my information, and today I went to the mail, opened up a letter with uh, six bucks in it. So, <laughs> I mean, it's six bucks, it's six bucks. It might be frugal, might be cheap, but uh, I mean, I, I think it's a win overall. I'm sure when AV gave them his his address, he was like, "Yeah, this isn't going to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> You're not actually going to going to refund me any money." But uh, it turns out they did. Yeah, I love that. I love the story. Yeah, and, and I think there's something that we can probably all learn from, like just something a random little thing that AB sends our way like this. And in my mind, that is that every dollar matters, right? And AB is treating is treating these dollars like every dollar matters. It's it's really easy to say. It's six bucks, right? Like, okay, the bigger thing to handle here, the more the more annoying thing is probably like my kid's disappointment that the machine is broken. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, AB like you know went through the trouble, made the phone call, and and I think Matt, it just when you treat your dollars like they all matter, like they all serve a purpose, whether it's fueling your financial independence or whether it's buying stuff that you care more about, like um, then you, like your mindset shifts towards your money like you start to think about your finances differently but if you start to say oh five bucks here five bucks there it doesn't you know who cares it doesn't really matter you are inevitably going to be the person who wakes up and you know just isn't as far along when it comes to building towards financial independence as somebody like ab is going to be so i totally hear what you're saying but i guess i'm going to have to like because at a certain point you think like you have to calculate like what your time is worth and i'll be honest i'm not sure if i would have actually made the call to to be like oh like let's see how much money I actually ended up losing to these stupid broken machines. Uh, so in my mind, like it's, it's kind of less about the money and maybe more about the, 
the fact that you can take the lesson in this this win, basically, that AB has experienced, and then roll that into other areas of life. Yeah. Like, like there's a sense the of... The six bucks isn't going to change his life. Yeah, the, but, the, exactly. but the fact that he treats his money with care will. Yes, and the empowerment, I think, that that can provide can lead to even bigger wins down the road, which, in my mind, like, that's why sometimes I do things that where it seems like a waste of time or um, or people are just like, why would you do that, man? Like you're only saving like literally cents on the dollar here or or in AB's case, like six bucks. And by the way, literally, he sent us a picture when he sent this voicemail over as well. And it was literally a $5 bill and a, and a $1 bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just mailed to him. I didn't realize that companies mail Send cash in the mail. <laughs> yeah, like mail cash. But I guess they figured it was uh, such a small amount that maybe yeah. it didn't really matter as much if, if uh, it ended up in someone else's hands. But I really like that he got like a taste of the glory of like of winning yeah. and the empowerment that you get from that to then say, I'm in control of my life. Yes. Like there is more that I am in control of. Like I can take life by the horns. There aren't businesses out there that are going to treat me poorly. Uh, I'm going to make them atone. I don't know. I'm getting too <laughs> <laughs> religious or whatever. But the ability to stand up for yourself and say, hey, are you going to make this right? This isn't something that I feel like uh, this isn't how you should have handled this. Or this yep. is a product that broke. Or even just dealing with, other, like if you're negotiating with somebody too, the ability to, I don't know, draw, like draw a line in the sand. That could lead to, like if you're looking for a promotion, the ability to advocate for yourself is that's what I love about this. And I hope that not only AB is able to take this to and apply it to other areas in life too, but also just all of our listeners. But specifically when you experience a small win like this yourself, it does yeah. something to you. you. You feel good about it and you think, all right, I'm optimizing. Okay, it's time to be more efficient. I'm going to stop wasting money. And like you said, you start seeing other opportunities. Yes. For all, well. all of a sudden, it's a paradigm shift and you start seeing any interaction where you're in this current of life of culture, but no, you can, you have the the ability to like transcend that and you can almost set, not make your own rules, but almost do what you want to a certain outback steakhouse. (laughs) Uh, Just like ordering a blooming onion. (laughs) Well, it makes me think of recently I went to a, a baseball game with one of my best friends and we parked over a mile away and we walked and it's not because i don't have 15 dollars to spare on parking but it's because i don't like my money going to pay for a a parking lot plus we had this lovely stroll so i don't know there's a good thing yeah there's all of these ways in which we can test our preconceived notions we can test the assumption oh well if i'm gonna go to the game i have to pay 20 bucks uh, to park right no you don't a lot of people just assume that that comes with the the cost of admission but it doesn't. <laughs> and you have the choice to do something different yep. with your life you and with your money. You have options. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, that, and that maybe was we're reading that. way too much into this, <laughs> but that was kind of, I was like, oh man, there's a lot to take away from no. AB's win here. Absolutely. Yeah. And so hopefully folks are hearing this and they're thinking, all right, there's this little thing that it's been in the back of my mind. I'm going to actually do something about it. And the ability to parlay that win into bigger wins in my mind is sort of the my big takeaway, the, the ability to to really set yourself up in, in some areas, like some of the big blocks, like some of the big things, whether it's a salary or housing or cars, right? Like yeah. some of the big wins that could really, truly have a massive impact as you're talking about years of not spending that money compounding in the within the stock market. Yeah. But uh, AB, we appreciate you, man. Thank you for, for sharing your win uh, with us. And by the way, again, you don't even necessarily have to have a question for us, but we love talking about anything that listeners are doing with their money pretty much. It just gives us a way to connect with folks and to talk about money, which is what <laughs> what we love to do 
while we are enjoying beers, and Joel, you and I are enjoying a fest beer. This is an Oktoberfest by Bold Monk. What were your thoughts? You already said that is one of your favorite styles by them. So. Yeah, yeah, it is actually. Um, well, they had actually when we were there last time, they had a really good barrel aged saison that was like mm. nice and funky, and I really enjoyed that. Did you one. Pick one of those up. Uh, they didn't have it bottled or canned, sadly, or I would have brought that. But um, so you should fill up your water bottle and <laughs> I thought about it. I thought about it. I, um, I just went back behind there, put my mouth underneath growler it, style, pulled pulled back on the handle. <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, no, so this one was like bronze in color. It was it was malty and a little sweet. And I just I really do like a good Oktoberfest. And I don't know if you know this. Oktoberfest starts in September, which feels like false advertising. But I'm gonna let it, I'm gonna let it slide. Um, but this, it's, yeah, it's already going. It's it it's starts, starting in a few days. Or think, no, it started like a couple weeks ago. It starts oh, like it? halfway through September, and it okay. goes through I think the beginning of October. But one of these days we'll make it out there. You know, okay, we'll, we'll hang out with all of our German HTM listeners too. It's funny that you mentioned that because we recent episode we talked with uh, Lacey Langford, and that's when we enjoyed the Cantillon. Uh, which was phenomenal, and it got me thinking about some of the different European beers. That's where I want to go. I don't like. I might want to swing through the Oktoberfest thing for like a day. Sure. But, like it goes on for weeks, and people. It's all about just large volumes and quantity. Whereas I'm like, I would rather drink like a quarter of the amount of beer I would drink at in, like over in Munich. Enjoy a fraction of that over in Belgium and go going over to Three Fontaine and um, yeah. Cantillon. I'm, I'm partial those beers. I'm partial to the Belgian styles yeah. too. Yeah, so. like well, and, and, it'd, be and, fun, it'd be a fun party. But yeah. man, I want to. Yeah, and, I would much rather hit up Cantillon. And if you're in Atlanta, by the way, and you like Belgian style beers, that's what Bold Monk kind of does. And and uh, their their food, their brew pub, the atmosphere there is. It's a good spot. Excellent. Yes. Yeah. Especially if you're if it's nice weather and you're eating outside in their little beer garden, it's. So lovely. It's a great spot. The upper floor. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So, all right, man, that's going to do it for this episode. We'll uh, post show notes up on the website at howtomoney.com with links to some of the things we referenced today, including some of those um, retirement calculators that we discussed um, in the the 25X question. All right. That's going to be it for this one, buddy. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilbur Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. 
Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.